Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, we can do better than that. Uh, Merry Christmas. Good job, good job. Uh, if you're uh, new here, just visiting with family, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and grateful you're spending a portion of your Christmas weekend here uh, with us. We've got a long day of services with four of them uh, this, today, and uh, we had one on Thursday, which is just a sweet time. Uh, again, there is a tradition to all of this stuff, right, which is important, uh, but we aren't here just for tradition. There's something more meaningful that's happening, and uh, when I was reflecting on what this message would be about and thinking about the calendar year that has been 2023, uh, it's been fascinating to just kind of step back and look and say, man, it's been an interesting year. Uh, you think about all of the things that are happening across the globe uh, from, you know, you've got wars in Russia and Ukraine, you've got, uh, you know, the Israel-Hamas war, and, and those things reach so many uh, different uh, parts of the world and so many countries are involved in that. Uh, you've got, uh, we're entering into another election season, right, which is great. It's like, I don't know if it's a living hell or what it is, but it is, uh, uh, it's something. And uh, we have that coming uh, along. We've, we've got uh, even like the personal stories of people, um, the, the wide ranging stories of even in, within our community. And you might uh, resonate a, a lot with this in terms of, uh, man, there's been people who've been waiting for something for so long and it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it's been a, a year with a lot of suffering and, and a lot of pain uh, throughout this. And a lot of times in, you know, during the Christmas season, it's like, man, we love, we love and, and enjoy Christmas lights. How many guys are just all about like Christmas decorations? Anyone like just, uh, yeah, you guys are awesome, right? You make Christmas happen, right? Like, so it's, it's awesome and it's beautiful and all that stuff. And, and there's this pressure Quite honestly, like you're going to be opening gifts with family uh, probably at some point today or tomorrow, and, and uh, there's this pressure for everything to be exciting and happy, right? Um, but that's not always the case. Like sometimes Christmas isn't that way, and it's okay. It's, it's okay uh, if you're not happy this season. It's okay to admit if it's been a rough year. Um, it's okay to, to, to understand that and go through that. That's part of what Christmas actually is. Now, some of you might be in this great joyous celebration, which is also okay and also wonderful. But when I was thinking about this, this passage or this sermon, I was just like, man, we have moved. If you can, if you can go back a few years ago and think about during the COVID years, uh, there's such a culture of anxiety around everything. And as you kind of look around, we've moved into this culture of anger um, that we see right now. And so you've seen this shift that starts to happen uh, as well. And all of this, all of this um, can be spoken into with this message of Christmas. So again, like tradition's awesome, and, and, but my heart uh, and desire for all of us uh, today during this service is to take a step back and breathe and, and understand what we're actually here for. And, uh, and I want to address a couple of things here this morning because uh, sometimes I don't think we really fully think through what the Christmas story is actually about. And so uh, there was uh, this TV show called Lessons in Chemistry and, and also it was a book first, but uh, it was on Apple. Anyone read the book or, or watch the show? Yeah, it was a really great book and, and show. And uh, Lisa and I were watching it and one of the, the ending scenes of the show, uh, I'm not giving anything away, but the, one of the main characters reads from uh, Charles Dickens in Great Expectations and she reads this quote from him, says this, that was a memorable day to me for it made great changes in me, but it is the same with any life. Imagine one selected day struck out of it and think how different its course would have been. 
Pause, you who read this, and think for a moment of the long chain of iron or gold or thorns or flowers that would have never have bound you, but for the formation of that first link on one memorable day. I'm going to go ahead and take a guess that everyone in this room has a memorable day of some kind that you think about, good or bad, that changed the course of your life in some kind of way. Uh, it could have been a big event, it could have been a decision, it could have been, I, and, you, and you run this through your mind, uh, I wish I wouldn't have, uh, I wish I wouldn't have said, or I wish I would have, or if I'd only not gone there, or if they had only, you know, maybe taken a different turn, if they had only, uh, like, not dated him or not dated her or whatever, you know, you have all these different stories. How many of you guys have a story of, like, a memorable time like that where you think, hmm, that's, that's a time where something really shifted in my life. Now, we don't have a time machine to go back and change any of that, and that is the reality of our lives. However, when we look at this day of Christmas, and uh, on December 25th, and it's not really the birth of Jesus, right? He was born in August or September, but uh, either way, uh, on Christmas, when we think about this day, it's like this was a memorable historical day that happened, that Jesus was born. There's not a historian that's worth his or her weight in anything that disagrees with the fact that Jesus was real, that Jesus was actually born. Uh, now, there's, there are people who, you know, obviously can interpret what Jesus' life was like uh, very differently. Uh, we as Christians, of course, believe uh, in him as the savior of the world. Uh, but there's no doubt that he was actually born. There was a historical, actual moment that happened. And that is a pivotal thing to think about. Because when you pause for a second and we think, all right, then, then what is the big deal about Christmas? Like, why does it really matter? And this is a question I don't know that we wrestle with enough. Why did Jesus have to be born? I just want you to think about that for a second. If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus have to be born? What would you say? How would you begin to explain why it's so important that we celebrate like we celebrate and why we uh, come to church and have this tradition of, of gathering like this? What, what would you say? What if I told you that in the Old Testament, so the Bible, if you kind of look at the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, it has an Old and a New Testament. And the hinge point in the middle is the, the life, well, the life, the death, the, the life again, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, his teachings is the hinge point of the middle. Prior to Jesus' life, they had grace. They had a way to have forgiveness of sin. They had a way to follow God and his teachings. So, so why did Jesus have to be born? They already had all these things in place that typically we answer. And I think there's something significant that we have to understand because when we realize this historical moment, we realize, oh, Jesus embodied something that is incredibly important. And if we miss it, we miss the entire reason of the season. But I think it's important for us to first start in Genesis chapter 1. So in the beginning of the Bible is the book of Genesis. And what it does is it, it details out this creation story. And within that creation story, we begin to see God's relationship to humanity. This is a big, big deal. And, uh, and, and also we get to start seeing, what does God expect out of humanity? What's our relationship to God supposed to be like? What is this, uh, this divine uh, creator? And how does the relationship with humanity, what does it really look like? And that becomes an important part of the Christmas story. And so I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1. It says this. What is this? In the what? Good job. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and what? We're going we're to need more crowd participation, y'all. <laughs> if we're empty, and what word is that? 
Good, over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be what? And there was what? Good job, I appreciate that. Verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own what? In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so I want us to pause here for a second. Because in the beginning, and we're going to see this phrase uh, again, because I want you to see something so cool about the Bible when uh, the writers tell the Christmas story. Um, There are so many parallels to the creation story. And they do that on purpose. Because in the creation story, we get to see who God is and what God is like. And we get this, this image of, like, uh, of God. We understand that God begins to create. He creates uh, male and female. He, he puts them in the garden. And, uh, and there's this incredible unity between heaven and earth. There's this incredible unity between the creator and creation. Uh, there's this harmony that begins to happen. And, and, in, and what it says in Genesis chapter 1 is, is there was this chaotic element to the world. That's the, dark, the, the darkness, the formless, uh, the void. Uh, the waters uh, represents chaos throughout the Bible. And what it says is that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, meaning it could calm the waters, And when the Spirit did that, it allowed for this framework of creation to actually happen. So in the beginning, uh, what the the writers of the Bible are trying to get us to understand is like, this is what God was like. There was this idea wants to create this new life, this hope, this light in the midst of darkness. And what what God does as creator is brings humanity into this in harmony with him. And that there's this incredible relationship and intimacy that begins to happen. Now, that gets broken uh, through sin and, and evil and injustice in the world and in and, and the way humanity is, right? We, we have choices, we have will, and, and we can choose to acknowledge the reality and truth of God and stay in harmony with him, or we can choose to not do that. We have that choice. But in the beginning, it was supposed to be in harmony uh, with one another. And it says that, that God created male and female in his what? image. So how cool is this? That every human being that has ever been born, that is currently alive, that will ever be born, you are the image of God. Every human being. That person next to you is the image of God. Isn't that crazy? Like the, the image of any, you, are, you are a human being. You are, you are being the image of God. Now, we can choose to bear his name or not, right? That's what I mean by we have the will to do that. But every human being, no matter how good or how bad you think they are, every human being is the image of God. That's incredibly important. It means so much because um, here's what happens. And and this is why we're going to spend, as a church, we're going to spend the next few months talking about what it actually means to be made in the image of God and what it means to be human. Uh, Because I don't think people think about this enough. This becomes so important, and I want you to see this. When you're gathering around with people during dinner tonight or lunch or however you're opening presents, whatever, I want you to just don't lose this image and this idea that, man, they're the image of God you're sitting next to, that you're talking to. If you disagree on politics or disagree, whatever, who cares? They're the image of God. So this is like incredibly significant. So this means that your body matters. So you should take care of it. You know why? you're the image of God. Your, your emotional state matters. It's part of your body, right? Like it, it matters and you should take care of it because you're in the image of God. When someone uh, uses someone else's body for their own gain, they're robbing them of the image of God. 
That's why it's so painful and so harmful and why it hurts people so bad. When, when uh, someone degrades or is condescending or gossips about someone else or tries to take down someone else or wishes they weren't even here, uh, why, why is that so bad? Because it's robbing them of the image of God. Why is war and violence so bad? Because it's robbing people of the image of God. And so this idea of being the image of God is incredibly important. In your humanity, you are the image of God. And so this biblical story isn't about how bad you are or how bad I am and that God's just putting up with us until the end and he can wipe it all clean. That's not the biblical story. That's not what it means and that's not what we're here for. He created humanity to be a bridge with the creator and the creation to experience intimate love and joy and peace and hope during this season of your life. And so you have this part of the story and that's important. But then Jesus comes along. And you guys know this story. You've heard it before about Gabriel comes to uh, Mary, right? And he comes to her and he's like, listen, girl, you just got pregnant. And uh, she's like, what? No, right? Like, this is not, this is not how. She's like 12, 13, 14 years old. And, and I want you to see what it says in Luke chapter 1. It says, how will this be, Mary asks. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will what? I'm going to explain why that's so important. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a divinity term that's being used there. But the overshadowing is really interesting. Because do you remember what I said? The Spirit of God did what over the waters? Hovered. This is the same language that's being used. This idea that the Spirit of God overshadowed. If you kind of think it's like overshadowing. If I were to step above you, I'm hovering over you, and there's a shadow that's cast on you and that the Spirit of God is hovering over. And so what the Spirit of God is doing in this moment with Mary is creating the ability for new life to happen. The chaos of all of it becomes get calm. It's like, oh, new creation is about to happen, that something divine is about to happen. Uh, John, one of the other writers in the Gospels that detail out the life of Jesus, uh, he writes it this way. What's this phrase in the, what? In the what? <gasps> How many of you guys have heard that before? Good job, right? Yes, it's like he's, John is intentionally doing this. He's trying to get us to understand, go all the way back to the beginning because something significant is about to happen. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was, was God. He was with God in the beginning. And who is the Word, you think? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you're not familiar uh, with church life, if you just say Jesus, you're going to be right 80, 90% of the time. All right, so... So who is the word? Good job. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the what? Of all mankind. The what? Shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it is the exact language of Genesis chapter 1. So John's trying to get us to understand, man, this is the same story. The same story. He continues on in verse 9 and 10. He says, The true light gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He's like, listen, you have the option. The light is here. And you can see it, but you can just remain in darkness if you choose so. Just like Adam and Eve ended up doing and chose their own way. You, You have the choice of what to engage or not. He continues in verse 14. He says, The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. 
So this word flesh here just means he became human. And who became human? Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And so this idea is the reason why he mentions that Jesus and his divinity and his God and his fully God uh, comes and becomes human. I know it seems like this incredible story. that It goes beyond our, our capacity to understand but in his humanity, he becomes the image of God. See, Jesus wasn't the image of God until he became human, because all humans are the image of God. So Jesus becomes the image of God in his humanity. He doesn't give up his divinity, but he becomes the image of God. Verse 19 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. So this becomes incredibly important. So why did Jesus have to be born? Well, he comes in and he begins to show uh, what God is actually like. So in this incredible move of God, Jesus gets us to understand that I want to show you what God is actually like. I want you to know that God can be known. So many belief systems keep God's outside and separate from everything. But one of the keys to Christianity is that, man, that Jesus came, embodied a body so that God could be known, so there would be this reconciliation that would begin to happen between the creator and the created again, that harmony could be restored. Eventually, we know that Jesus goes and dies and he rises again, and this is the establishment of Christianity, but the the idea is, man, when he was first born, it's like, ah, this is the same kind of creative story, this divine relationship and intimacy with creation with the creator and heaven and earth coming together. And so it begins to matter so much because what Jesus does is he, he flips the script on all of this stuff. Now here's the deal. Um, have you guys uh, ever heard the phrase war, a war on Christmas? You ever heard that? Um, how many of you guys have heard someone say that? Or you saw that, like you heard something like, there's a war on Christmas. They won't even let you say Merry Christmas anymore. And I'm like, who stops you from saying Merry Christmas, right? And like, they're making me say Happy Holidays. And like, who cares? You got them there too, because that just means Happy Holy Days. So you got them as well. And so it doesn't actually matter. This war on Christmas is kind of dumb. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if someone tries to stop us from having Christmas and celebrating Jesus, because guess what? No one can ever stop you from celebrating Jesus. Ever. But here's the thing. The war on Christmas isn't about someone trying to stop you from saying Merry Christmas and forcing you to say Happy Holidays or anything dumb like that. The war on Christmas is actually how modern thinking tries to distract you tries to get you to worship something else, tries to get you to have your attention towards something else. Like, that's what the war on Christmas actually is. And so I want to give you a few examples of that really quick. Here's one way that modern thought does this. Modern thought would tell you, if you just have enough reason, it'll break you free, and that brings you to your own truth, which equals a full life. So some language that you'll typically hear uh, now in our culture is like, just live your own truth. It's such a flawed logic because if your truth interrupts my truth, then there's a problem. And, if, and, and truth has to be true throughout time. And truth has to be true for everyone. And truth has to be actual truth. So it's not about our own reason. 
See, what the Christmas story says is that light came into the darkness. That's what makes us free. So that with Jesus full of grace and truth, we can actually understand what truth really is. And so modern thought would try to distract you, though. It's like you just need to learn a little bit more. Be enlightened. Have enough reason. That will make you free. Another way it does is this way. That the fullness of life is through materialism or striving on one side, or it's the actual opposite where you abandon everything and just go to the desert. And that's some of the language that we'll see. It's like, man, anything, like any materialism is, is, is awful. It's bad, right? And, and, and it's like, well, no, I, it's not that way with the life of Jesus. Because what we see in Jesus is uh, you get to experience creation. So if you like to travel, that's okay. If you like to experience nature, that's okay. Like, you like to have something nice here and there. Like, when you open a present, you're like, oh, this is nice. Like, don't be like, oh, it's the worst. I'm supposed to love Jesus. How nice is this? I wish you would have gotten me the knockoff version, right? And so um, it's not like that. Now, can both sides go too far? Yes. But with Jesus, it's like, oh, you experience the fullness of life. You do experience the beauty and the things that are nice, but you understand its place. Another way that modern thought would try to distract us is, is be, hey, you got to be in one of these two camps. You have to accept one of their values, and this is how you get defined. You're either a liberal or you're a conservative. All right, let me just help you guys. Both of these, in some way, are anti-Jesus. Um, they just are. So if you're going to fight over Christmas dinner tonight... Um, about something politically, just be like, hey, you're fighting about something that's anti-Jesus. I'm like, so are you. There you go. There's your answer. Um, because both of these are actually in some way, shape, or form anti what Jesus taught. Now you can argue different ways, like some might be more in some ways and some might be more in another way and all that, and I get all that. But neither of those things, neither of those identities represent Christ in any way, shape, or form. But yet they cause so much division. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. That's actually a war on Christmas. Here's the last way. I am master of my own fate, and my life centers around self-care and eliminating anything that I don't fully accept emotionally or intellectually. That is another way a culture tries to distract us and to make you think you have to be happy 100% of the time. To make you think that if someone in your life is annoying. How many guys have someone in your life that's annoying? Yeah. How many are sitting next to them? Um, like they're... Um, so... Uh, so you're going to have people in your life that are, uh, uh, you're going to have people in your life that are annoying. They're going to have people in your life that are difficult. You're going to have people in your life that uh, frustrate you. And listen, I'm a big fan of having the right boundaries relationally. Big fan. But at the same time, at the same time, um, you have to understand that Jesus was around a lot of people that disagreed with him and somehow he still loved them. Jesus was around a lot of people that probably annoyed him but he still found time for them. Jesus was around a lot of people who, who, who probably like, his disciples were like, Jesus, man, that dude is a lot, or she's a lot. And he's like, I know, I know. I'll just pray a little harder in the morning and I'll be fine, right? Like, so, so we have those little moments and those people in our lives that is okay. And listen, I'm all for self-care too. But man, people use that as a crutch to not be emotionally healthy. People use that as a crutch to not be, uh, to, to learn how to handle conflict well. All right, so yes to relational boundaries when there's hurt and all those things. I get all that. I'm all for that. But hey, like let's not forget that sometimes uh, life is hard and so are relationships. And that's part of it. And we understand this in the story of Jesus, but it tries to distract you. And so we take this a little bit further. 
And I just want you to start thinking through, it's like, all right, then who am I in this story and what does my own life uh, embody? Do I embody the, the reality and the truth of Jesus or does my life embody something else? Did I walk in here today with all these other different thoughts? Um, I'm just here because my family invited me or a friend invited me or a coworker invited me. I don't even believe any of this stuff, whatever. Um, you know, or maybe you walked in hurting or you walked in just wounded from this year. But Jesus, what he does is Jesus eventually grows up a little bit and everyone is, is trying to figure out who Jesus is just like you might be today. In, in the Bible, Jesus begins doing a lot of teachings and, and he does something really interesting. He, he, he comes to uh, some of the, the soon-to-be followers. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, he, he does something um, here. He says this. He says, repent. And that word repent just means to turn away from. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. So I believe like, if Jesus were here now, those kind of modern thoughts, those four things that I just listed, Jesus would be like, hey, repent from that way of thinking because I want you to actually experience the fullness of life, what it means to be human, what it means to embody who I am, to be a, a tangible expression of who I am. I'm going to go ahead and guess that everyone in this room wants to have a full life. Like you want to you have the fullness of life. What Jesus would say is like, yeah, you can have that if you repent from all the ways it's trying to rob you of your humanity, rob you of, of what I taught, rob you and distract you. And Jesus would say repeatedly, he's like, man, I have a life full of love, full of grace, full of truth that's waiting for you. But you have a choice. You have a choice. And so Jesus would, would come and then he came up to, this other, to these other people and he says, hey, listen, I want you to come and follow me. It was a command that he said a few different times. So often we kind of stop at, we just need to believe in Jesus. That is a, a part of the, the, uh, our relationship with God. But it's not just about believing. What really this is about is what Jesus says. He says, you need to follow me. You need to follow me. It is not enough to just say that you are a Christian. That is a foreign concept to the Bible, to just say you're a Christian. I get it in America in particular or any kind of Western country. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But biblically, to say you're a Christian was to also follow Jesus. I'm not saying perfectly. We're all a mess in one kind of way or another. But man, there's the heart to follow Jesus. And that is the orientation of our heart and the will of our minds. It's like we want to follow Jesus. So Jesus says to come and follow me. Eventually what ends up happening is Jesus lives his life and people, um, some people acknowledge who he is, some people don't. Uh, a lot of people get mad about it and eventually those people kill him. They hang him on a cross. And what's really fascinating about the story of Jesus and why this Christmas story even matters at all is what Jesus does is he comes in and he's like, man, all those things that try to harm us and rob us, rob our harmony with God, like death and sin and suffering and pain and, and this, uh, sometimes the waiting that we have. It's like all those things. Jesus goes on the cross and stares them in the face and is like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again and defeat all of these things so that you can have harmony with God again. So you can be in harmony and in peace with God. This reconciliation that can happen through the reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
He's like, I want you to know this. And then here's what I want you to do when you follow me is you're going to embody this same kind of life. This life to sacrifice for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to give grace to one another. This is what begins to happen as we embody the teachings of Jesus. And so we hear all of this and we know all of this and this is what's presented for us throughout the Bible. But I still realize that maybe that doesn't convince you enough or maybe you're still wrestling with things. And so I just want to address maybe a few folks that are in the room today. Maybe you're here and you're thinking this, I'm doing fine. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. People love me. I love other people. And listen, that might be true. Matter of fact, if you're saying that about yourself, it probably is true. You probably are a good person. You probably are moral. I would say this on the front end. Those very good things that you feel and you do and your ability to love people are there because you're made in the image of God and that's who God is. So you might, all those things might be true, all right? That you are good and, and you're, you're moral. And all that. Like, yes, I want to encourage you to be that person. Keep being kind. Keep being generous. Keep being like, super nice to the people around you. But let me ask you a couple of questions that might be helpful. How does your worldview, which means how you see the world around you, how does your worldview provide an ultimate solution to injustice, sin, or evil throughout the world? You're a good person. You're good, and I'm, I agree. But how does your worldview provide an ultimate solution to that? Or how about this? Do you possess the capability to be, to be completely just and have insight to the true essence of someone's heart? I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say you don't. You don't. Whoever you love the most in your life, you still can't even do that. The closest person that you have in your entire life, you do not know the true essence of their heart. And you love them really well. But see, part of the story with, with Jesus is Jesus does give an ultimate solution to injustice, to evil, and to suffering, and to pain in this world. He does. Part of the story with Jesus is that he does understand the true essence of your heart, and the person sitting next to you, and the person behind you, and the person that you'll see on the way out of here. He understands that. And so that might just mean maybe this is something to wrestle with for you, that, that maybe there's something bigger to this story. Maybe there's something bigger to your story that becomes pivotal. Or maybe you're in a space where you're asking really good and big questions, like why would a good God allow whatever the allowing thing is? Or why would God make me wait this much? I've been praying for healing. I've been praying for a husband. I've been praying for a wife. I've been praying for a new job. I've been praying for a baby. I've been praying for all these different things, whatever. And it's like, why would God make me wait this much? Or why would a good God, uh, my desire is right. And listen, your desires might be perfectly right and great. And it's, and it, and it's okay. And, and let me just say this. I think sometimes in Christianity, we present to one another this idea that if you just follow Jesus, everything's going to work out just how you want it to. Or if you just do A, you're going to get B. Here's the thing. Um, and hopefully this will be helpful. I promise you, when you follow Jesus, you're going to get disappointed in God. 
Here's why I say that. You're going to pray about things sometimes, and, and, and they're going to be good prayers, and they're just not going to get answered the way that you thought. You're going to hope for certain things, and it might not happen the way that you desired on the front end. And then you're going to look at someone else who was praying maybe something similar to you, and they did get healed, or they did get married, or they did get that job, or they did get that house, or they did get uh, um, the baby, or they get whatever it is. And, and listen, that is just a reality. You might suffer more than someone else. That is all part of it. That is all part of it. And so if you've been in that space, just I want you to know that it's okay. That it's okay. But I also want to have this question for you just in case you're getting in a space where you're like, I'm really doubting. If you take Jesus out of the answer to all of these scenarios, what are you left with? If you leave Jesus in it, you have hope. If you leave Jesus in it, you have uh, optimism. If you leave Jesus in it, it doesn't tie things up in a nice, neat bow, but what it does do is give you a way to continue to strive through suffering and pain and waiting and do it with love and grace and a resilience that you can only find through him. Now, you might be in a third category, and this is the last one, and you might simply be asking this. Why would God even care about me? Why would God even care about me? You might have lived a certain life and made certain decisions that you've gotten to a space where you're just like, Man, I don't even think God would want to love someone like me. I've gone too far, I've denied him too much, or whatever it is. I was reminded of a little illustration I read, I don't even know how long ago it was now at this point, but of this dad who was with his son who had just become a teenager. And his dad uh, had this fam family heirloom, this, this watch, is a little over 200 years old. And he wanted to teach his son about value and about his own value. And he wanted his son to be able to see his life a little bit differently. So he gives him this watch and he says, son, go take it down to uh, the jeweler and see how much she'll give you. And so he takes the, the, down to the, the watch down to the jeweler and the jeweler looks at it and it's like, wow, this is a beautiful watch. How old is that? And son says, it's over 200 years old. And she says, oh, wow. And, uh, and then she says, I'll give you $250 for it. And they said, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, you know, I'm, just, I'm 13 years old. $250 is a lot of money, right? So, um, you know, jeweler's probably like, I ain't a lot of money. But like there's, uh, he was like, man, it's a lot of money. And he comes back to his dad and he's like, man, I'm going to give me $250 for it. And he's like, okay. Take it, down to the pawn, take it down to the pawn shop and see what I'll give you for it. So he takes it down to the pawn shop and the guy looks at it and he goes, I'll give you $15 for this. And the kid's like, man, $15? That's way less than $250. That doesn't make sense. And so he brings it back. He's like, Dad, it's going to be $15 for it. And he's like, okay. He goes, now take it down to the museum. They have a lot of collectibles there. And take it down to the curator and, and they'll fully appreciate what this watch is worth. And so see what they'll do. So he takes it down to the museum. The curator looks at it and he's like just his eyes are like coming out of his head. And he's like, you realize how old this watch is? And the kid's like, yeah. And the curator says, I'll give you $500,000 for this watch. And so his son comes back and he's like, dad, you're gonna be $500,000 for this watch. And, and he looks at his son and he says this. He says, the right people and the right place will always value you the right way. And when I think about Jesus, when I think about Jesus, Man, does he value us. 
And, and let me just say this as an encouragement to you, because if you're in that kind of headspace, I just want you to hear this. Your value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see your worth. But what the birth of Jesus does, it's like this ultimate, let me show you how much you're worth. This story of Jesus is centered on Jesus. It's not about us. But because of who Jesus is, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate story of let me show you how much you're worth and how much you value you. In the end, the Christmas story means that the story of humanity isn't complete until it's bound up in the intimate love of God. Now, band, you guys can come back up. I want you guys to sit with this question for a second. One of the things we like to do here is just pause and reflect. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs and light some candles. But I want you to sit with this question. What does my life embody? And to embody means that you are a tangible expression of something. And here's the thing. Your life is a tangible expression of something. We have to wrestle with what that something actually is. There are these two songs that we've been singing throughout this year that have been a big deal for our community. Uh, They've been in kind of pivotal um, moments. They've been in uh, some worship night moments that have left many people just in tears. There have been, uh, it's been tapping into something inside of us that as a community, um, is incredibly important, even during practice, it, it did. And so there's two songs. One is More Than Able and the other one is goodness of God. And in this song, More Than Able, says this, says, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? And it's not just, who am I to deny that Jesus could be born like this? Like, it's not just that. It's, who am I to deny what the Lord can do in me and through me? And there's this place in, in the song where it says, man, imagine all the faith in the room. And, and to look at all the faith in the room, like, if the fullness of our humanity came out and we lived how God wanted us to live and, and imagine what God would do through all of us. There's another little piece that just talks about he is not done with us yet. There's so much more to our story. And I love the line, the goodness of God, it says that all of my life you have been faithful. So if you've been in a tough season, you've been in a season of waiting or suffering or pain or But all of my life, you've been faithful. With every breath that I am able, I'll sing of the goodness of God. Sometimes we don't see the goodness till we look back. We have to keep reminding ourselves that it's there. So I'm asking you guys to bow your heads for just a moment. Lamont will, and the the crew here will just, they'll start leading us in a second. And I'm going to come back up and pray. after we sing and before we light the candles, but I just want you to sit with this question. What does my life embody?